Welcome to The Eco Enthusiast, a podcast where we explore the world of everyday people making a difference in the environmental movement. From busy parents to community leaders, we chat with a diverse group of individuals who are using their skills and passions to make positive eco change in their communities and beyond. So whether you're just starting your sustainability journey or you're a seasoned pro, we hope to inspire and empower you to take action and make a positive impact on our planet. So join us and let's start building a better future together. Behaviour change specialist Anna Hughes has worked in sustainable transport since 2008, at first focusing on bikes with Sustrans and now on aviation with Flight Free UK. A lifelong environmentalist, she stopped flying more than 10 years ago, and that was when her riveting travels truly began. A favourite flight-free trip was cycling the length of France to swim in the Mediterranean. She is now encouraging all of us to take the pledge to go one year without flying so we can discover the enriching and empowering adventure of slow travel ourselves. I hope you enjoy today's conversation with Anna Hughes. Well, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast, Anna. I would just love to start with you just telling us a bit about Flight Free UK and how you came to create this organization. So Flight Free UK is about encouraging people to travel without flying. The idea is that people are very aware of environmental issues when it comes to other things like diet and clothing and maybe even road transport. But the message hasn't quite got through when it comes to holidays and air travel. So there is a bit of a gap in the market. So I haven't flown for 13 years or so. But I still travel a lot and have adventures and everything else. So being able to demonstrate to people that quitting flying doesn't mean sacrificing that part of your life is really powerful. And also because there is so much carbon associated with taking a flight which lots of people don't quite realize quite how carbon heavy a flight is so that's kind of where we're fitting into the conversation so we give information about the carbon impact of flying and then we give inspiration for people to travel by other means great you know it's so true because a couple years ago I started to become really uncomfortable with flying and because I was aware of the impact that it had and I said to my husband I feel very uncomfortable. I live in Spain and my home country is Australia. So I understand sometimes I will have to, but I don't want to be flying around Europe when I, it's not necessary because I feel really bad. And he Mm. said, Oh, Abby, I think you should do some investigating because it could be that the use of your air conditioner is the same as your (laughs) air travel. And I went, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like, do you not, are you not aware? So I think in many cases, people had not been aware of just how big impact their flying has on their carbon footprint and on the world. Yeah, I think people are quite surprised when they find out because we try to compare it to things that mean something to people. So, for example, if you're someone who flies, you you might have seen recently on Skyscanner or Google Flights, it compares your flight to other flights and tell you tells you which one is the greenest. So I'm saying greenest with like massive inverted commas here. Yeah. <laughs> because um, it just like looks at which airplane is more fuel efficient. But that's not a really realistic method of comparison because it gives the impression that the flight is like one of the flights is going to be green. But actually, if you compare it to other things, other forms of travel and also other lifestyle choices, you can really see the impact. So, for example, 
if you're taking the train across in Europe, like continental train travel is so low carbon, you could be saving 90% on your emissions. Yeah. And then in terms of comparing to other lifestyle choices, like your air conditioning, for example, <laughs> I don't have that stat to hand, but other things like driving. Okay. So I mentioned that people are a bit more aware when it comes to road transport, you could drive... A- Right, we're talking about averages here. So I'm using average mileage, average car model. But driving for an entire year creates over 1.7 tonnes of carbon dioxide. But that is about equal to flying to New York and back. Yeah. So like one trip per passenger, by the way. So one trip to New York is the equivalent of driving for an entire year. So yeah, those are the things actually that people need to know. I think... You have two camps. You have the people that just are not aware, like my husband who was not aware. But then I have other people that are aware. And it can be really hard because, like someone said to me in my group, we have this group of eco-enthusiasts and we like help each other live more sustainably. And she said, I find it really hard knowing that I can change my diet. I can change how much I drive. I can reduce how many things I buy. But that flight is just going to like destroy my whole sustainability journey. So, yeah, I think a lot of people are starting to feel uncomfortable. And that's why I really like Flight Free UK, just to help to encourage us. Because me personally, when I first became really concerned about the climate and I, I saw Take the Jump, Take the Jump says... Take the jump gives you different like ideas of how you can live sustainably on the planet. And one of them mm. is, okay, you can take a short haul flight every three years or a long and a long haul flight every eight years. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh my goodness, that's so stressful because that's really hard <laughs> yeah. compared to, you know, if, if I'm comparing it to what I need, especially to travel to Australia. But I thought yeah. to myself, no, at least I can change my behavior in Europe. And a lot of those short haul flights are... Yeah. Uh, what Greenpeace are fighting to get rid of because they have the, the things that yeah. we're doing a lot and that can be easily changed. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really love Take the Jump. I think it's such a good platform. And to give you the kind of mathematics of it, like they've calculated how many flights you can actually take to be sustainable. And again, sustainable is a massive caveat. I mean, yeah. ultimately, like we should not be taking any flights actually, but yeah. obviously we can't all do that. <laughs> so to give it a number... And to say, okay, you can take a flight every so often and this is how often um, to kind of fit into those sustainability goals, I think is really helpful for people. Um, Even if it's just like, whoa, that is so far away from where I am right now, but it gives a target to move towards. Totally. And also the Europe thing as well. I really think that most of Europe is really well accessible, especially now we've got night trains being more in more night trains are being introduced all the time which is so fantastic it's such a great way to open up the whole of Europe to us as travelers you know traveling while you're asleep that's the best thing right yeah you wake up in your destination and yeah because like the time taken to travel over land is such a big deal for lots of people and they're like oh I don't have the time to go by train but if you're asleep then it's dead time anyway right so we we focus mostly on holiday flights and mostly on those short haul ones because they can be replaced fairly easily by other means. So yes, we want people to cut down on the long haul flights as well. But if unless you're just going on holiday to the Caribbean or whatever, which you can, you don't have to do. Um, if, if you've got family in Japan, Australia, wherever it is, it is, I mean, it's impossible to travel there by other means. Yeah, so you there's will, no other option. You will, 
Yeah, and, exactly. And, so and you, you can even reduce that. Like even I feel yeah. like I'm trying. And the, the thing about that is like to go to Australia or Japan, it's well, at least Australia, it's very expensive. Yes. So your, your hands are already tied to a degree anyway. The short haul flights that are sometimes dirt cheap, yeah. they're like what's happening there. It's just crazy. And I teach English and I have a lot of students in here in Spain. And after the pandemic, like they work at, at big companies, they're all traveling again. They're flying again mm. and they are exhausted. And I said to them, I said, why is this? Why are you going back to flying everywhere and traveling all the time? It's just their boss is kind of forcing that upon them. And yeah. I think there's so many elements to stopping these short haul flights and just changing our behavior in any case. Because yeah. I said, can you do these like meetings online? And he goes, yeah, like I definitely can yeah. for my job. Another guy said, I could do half. I think I could do it yeah, this half. Right. But it's just like yeah. we've just gone back to after the pandemic, we've just gone back to the, the same old behavior yeah. or even worse maybe. <laughs> Yeah, and the culture needs to change. So that's one of the main things we're trying to achieve with Flight for UK. So we challenge people to take a year off flying as a way to change behavior and reduce emissions straight away, obviously. But the, the ultimate aim is to create a culture shift. So one of the reasons that people fly is because that's what you do. And like you've just explained with the, the people who you know have gone back to flying after the pandemic, because that's just how the business model works. But actually... So the pandemic was quite a good kind of behavior change kick because it forced people to be inventive in, in how they work and also in how they travel. But it wasn't a long term solution because as soon as everything opened up again, you know, we'd seen people get back onto planes. If you choose this, though, because you have accumulated knowledge or because you've tried out the alternatives and found them to be completely satisfactory that's when longer term behavior change happens so that's what we're trying to achieve by having our short term challenge it gives people a taste for the alternatives and it shows that it's possible and it shows that you're completely able to still run a business and have satisfying holidays without getting on a plane and as as we get to the point where more people are doing that then it just becomes normal so it becomes normal to book a train it becomes normal for your company to book you a train or to at least offer train travel rather than just booking flights as a default and that's what we need to get away from we need to get away from flights as the default and wouldn't it be wonderful if in 10 years time it's no longer like a group of friends saying we're going to Lake Como for a hen night or whatever hen weekend which airport are you flying from it's like which train are we getting yeah. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful if that were the conversation? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I hope that we can get there. I recently just booked a flight and I talked about this with my group. I said, what am I, why am I doing this? Do you know what I mean? Like, I know it's not the right thing to do right mm. now. And I'd made this rule for myself and I said, I feel like I've been on this diet and then I just opened the bag of chips and ate the <laughs> chips and now I feel really bad. But the whole process of booking this flight, and this happened to me the last two times I've booked flights, whole process has taken me like a day i'm not even joking of comparing the flights dealing with the airline it has been really high stress taking at least a day and i thought to myself why wouldn't i just get a bus it's going to take a day and not cause me that drama so after this last experience it really has cemented 
that I am definitely going to get the bus next time, bus mm. or train next time for two, because there's two things I learned from this experience. One is the amount of stress that the whole thing caused me for the airlines, you know, yeah. they're making a lot of money, but they're still not very good with their customer service. <laughs> also, I didn't get to have any luggage because that's too expensive. And I realized, mm. hey, it's actually going to be, I can have all that luggage on the bus for a cheaper price. Another thing I learned is, because I'm going with my child, because um, in the group I was talking about this feelings I had about flying, I was really uncomfortable. And one woman said, oh, she's going from Barcelona to England. And she said, I was doing the comparing the train and the flights and she's ended up going with the train. It's a touch more expensive, but not much more expensive because the child is free on the train. And oh, I didn't yeah, factor that. travel free I didn't longer fa- on the trains. Yeah. Yes. And also that she realized that she gets, I'm not exactly sure what it is. I have to do a bit more research. But that you, it actually works at similar price because with this particular ticket, you get a free day's worth of travel in the UK. So once you're there, you don't have to pay for a train from here, A to B. Oh, so excellent. there's all these different things that we're having the conversation and it's really interesting. And I said, can you provide all this information I can put on the, the page mm. so that we can see that this is not the only way and it's actually not yeah. the best way a lot of the time. Yeah, for sure. And that's the narrative, isn't it? Like you look at the headline price of an airfare and you think, oh, well, 20 pounds to Nice, why would I pay 85 on the train? And and then you're like, well, actually, it's not 20 pounds, is it? Of course it's not. <laughs> you have to get to the airport and off the other side. Uh, as you just said, you're going to be paying for baggage. You're paying for your kid. You, you know, don't have to do that on the train. And there's so many extras. And Oftentimes you get to the end of your journey and you're like, okay, well, the actual journey from start to finish cost me about the same as it would have cost to just take the train. But you mentioned the bus, like the bus is such a good budget option, bus and coach travel. And it's really good across Europe. Like Flixbus is fantastic. There's so many different route options and it's comfy and there's Wi-Fi and there's good views out of the window, you know, and um, it's, yeah, I mean, it sounds a bit studenty, like you kind of have to endure bus travel a little bit, but still, like you can do it. It's totally for sure available as an option. I've just read uh, one option I'm thinking of for next time is the blah blah bus because I've heard ah. you just have to press a button and you have the ticket, and then up until thirty minutes before, you can get sixty percent. Like if you don't end up taking the bus, they'll give you sixty percent of your ticket back. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, I like that because, as I said. The amount of stress I feel flying, not even just the environmental factor, just the process that it takes and, oh, have I got my information incorrectly? And then they're always tricking me like if you call, now they're going to add $30 more because it's now now you're booking on the phone instead of the – like there's all these little (laughs) tricks that they do to get more money. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, they have managed to create this kind of smokescreen and just like it sounds cheaper and it sounds easier, but actually it's just a production line. It's horrible. Like the the thing about train travel is everything is up front. You know how much it's going to cost. You know how long it's going to take. Yeah. I mean, obviously delays happen, but hey, delays happen when you're flying as well. You know, totally, totally. Yeah. It doesn't mean air travel is immune from all this stuff, but yeah, I totally, I, I think it's just so much more enjoyable, enriching. It's something to be enjoyed rather than endured. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it is one of those things that I, I think helps slow you down. Um, and I don't know how other people feel. I've never driven a car. So I, I love public transports, but it's just like mm. saved me. And on public transport, I put my headphones in 
and I'm just imagining like I spend like hours imagining I write stories and stuff so I, that's my thinking time yeah. so I I really like it people think I'm crazy but I I think other people could embrace it as well and go yeah it's a time when you're moving in a vehicle and you're just listening to some music or just looking out the window yeah it's a really amazing time for human beings to just stop yeah definitely agree with that and I feel like our culture is just we must have everything now yeah. like you book you book the ticket and you want to be there straight away and air travel encourages that because it is quick like it's falsely quick you can get to Copenhagen in a couple of hours actually Copenhagen is a really long way away <laughs> it should take a day and a half yeah <laughs> yeah you know yeah um, and yeah it just we are so impatient with everything as consumers as travelers and actually that's not a great way for us to be psychologically we, it, slowing down is so good for us yeah I think we need that time and I think we should be looking for opportunities for it like excuses to go hey I can sit down in a bus for nine hours and go into that stopping and thinking and reflecting yeah. and, and read that book I've yeah. been meaning to read and I never have time <laughs> yeah or listen like there's so many podcasts like the other day I was just <laughs> like doing yeah like this one you can listen to this podcast but I was listening to like you know we have Netflix and stuff and I there's so much I, I because I love stories I feel like we're getting a lot of not so great storytelling. That's just my opinion. And I was doing some drawing the other day and listening to like classic myths, it like into my ears That's and going, so... wow, like this is such an amazing experience. And so, yeah, slow travel would give me the opportunity to really go there. And, yeah. and just, yeah, there's just so much to find. I think sometimes change scares us and slowing down can sometimes scare us, but I think there's so much to find in this change. Do you know, that's such a good point. Change scares us. And that's a very human trait, right? So we are very resistant to change as humans. Yeah. But when change happens, we adapt very quickly. Yeah. So for example, you can draw parallels with so many things, but smoking is a good one. So remember the smoking ban was like, I can't remember now, like 15 years ago here in the UK. Yeah. And before it happened, everyone was up in arms and they were like, are you joking? We're not going to be able to smoke in the pub anymore. Even stuff like having the cigarettes kind of hidden from view, like all of that stuff, the tobacco industry didn't want it. But then it happened and everyone just goes outside to smoke and doesn't moan about it. Like, it's just, that's what happens now. You wouldn't dream of sparking up in a pub or on a bus or whatever. And so, yeah, we're, we're very resistant to that change before it happens. But then when it happens, we're fine. And I feel that that can be the same with transport. Like, um, so that there are so many things that need to happen for us to be able to choose the low carbon option. And one of them is simply regulation and getting the government to put measures in place so that we can make the right choices. So for example, in France, they have just banned three flight routes that have a, a direct train that, take, that gets you there in like two and a half hours. I mean, it's not very revolutionary because it's only it only affects three routes in the whole of France. They what well, they they could extend it to include like six or seven routes. But anyway, it's a start. And the point is, you are simply removing that as an option. So as a traveller, you just get the train, and you might be like, oh, well, hang on a minute, I want to fly from Paris to Nantes, and then you're like, oh, the train's quicker. Okay, great, I'm done. That's like I've adapted, and and that's the kind of stuff that we need. You know, we need the people at the top to say. Okay, for the good of our planet, and because it's it's a it's a sensible decision, we are going to make this choice simpler for you. Yeah. And and once that happens, people will adapt. 
Yeah, this is one thing I don't understand. When I was talking about my guilt about taking this flight, because I said, this is another thing I learned, because I said this year, and I, like I, I hate saying this, but this year I'm a frequent flyer. And why am I a frequent flyer? Mm. Because it only takes three flights to be considered yeah. a frequent flyer. Another piece of yeah. information that people don't know. Yeah. And I hadn't flown for years, but then it was just like my sister was in England and then my dad wanted to go to, like, it was just like everything kind of came at me and I was like, okay, sure, you know. Yeah. But then it made me step back and go, okay, I'm a frequent flyer. And I went, how is this, like, this doesn't make me feel very good and how can I change my ways? And what made me really upset was I went, why is the government not helping? Like, sh like for example, if I, if I was going to take this third flight that I decided to take, if they said it's going to be five times more expensive for your third right. flight, then right. I would take the train. I would take yes. the bus easily. Like it would be a no-brainer. Right. So do you know what is their excuse for not doing that? Has anyone <laughs> just figured out why? Oh, gosh. Okay. I mean, there's so many things. So we definitely need to stop rewarding frequent flyers, right? Yeah, I know. Air mile schemes need to go. For sure. <laughs> um, especially because people take flights just to build, bump up their air miles. But instead, and the opposite, we need to do the opposite. What you've just outlined, the more flights you take, the more expensive it gets. To the yeah. point where like the fifth, sixth, seventh flight is just impossible. Like you, you're not going to do it. Yeah. Okay. Fundamentally, we need to tax aviation fuel. So at the moment, there's no tax on aviation fuel, which means they can offer rock bottom prices compared to the train. Compared to other forms of transport, it's just criminally cheap. Okay. The sticking point is the government especially the Tory government that we have right now, they don't see aviation as a problem. They they see the plan, their master plan for dealing with emissions from aviation is to use technology, so invest in green technology, use sustainable aviation fuel, which could mean biofuel or it could mean oil, used cooking oil, those kinds of things, and then to use offsets. And at no point does their master plan involve reducing demand for aviation, but also because of the airline industry lobbying in the same way as the tobacco industry lobbied the government for like pretending or, or hiding the fact that smoking caused cancer, the airline industry and the fossil fuel industry are very clever at saying, it's okay, guys, we've got it in hand. We can solve this emissions problem. Oh, and by the way, there isn't one, you know, yeah. all, all this kind of stuff. Like it's just, it's, it's a power play. It's a power play. Politicians won't put measures in place that change people's behavior. Like that is conservatism. Like they, they won't. They're very free market people, which is why we have to change. Like we, we can change the market. Yeah. If we choose to travel by train, then we will change the market. And it's happening. That is why we've got new sleeper train routes across Europe, because the industry is going, oh, hang on a minute. People are changing the way they travel. Right, let's adapt. So I have lost all hope with the government. I just think it's an absolute lost cause. What we can do is affect the industry with our consumer behavior. There are lots of people that say individual actions matter, but you've got to be an activist for, for government change. And I sit in your camp because I have lost a lot of hope in that, in the government change. Mm -hmm. but, and also as a as a citizen sitting here, I can sign some petitions, but what else can I do? It, it, Sure, I can turn up to some rallies, but I do mm. have to pay my rent. I do have to go to work. I do have to do mm. things like I can't stop my whole life 
to go and sit out the front of the government office and demand this that they stop aviation. I I can't do that, but I can change my behavior. Right. So right. And I I really believe in in the power of that and the power of the the consumer to yeah. to make these changes. So I really believe it. I understand when people say we have to be activists and push for government changes, but we have been trying that for quite some yeah. time and it hasn't worked. So yeah. I yeah, I'm really glad you said that because a lot of people say, "Oh, well it's not down to us as individuals. It's down to the 100 top polluting co- companies in the world who cause, you know, 90% of the emissions of I just made that up. <laughs> Don't quote me on that stuff. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, sure, it is the companies that we need to bring down. But also, you're right. Like I can't bring down Shell as one yeah. person, but I can stop buying their products. I don't drive and I don't fly. Done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um but yeah, it's sometimes your individual behavior is all you have. Yeah. I mean, let's be real. The government is not listening to their own advisors who are paid to advise the government. They're not going to listen to me. Sure. But so so I have to look at my consumer behavior, which actually does have an impact. Okay. How do you respond to criticisms that avoiding air travel may limit opportunities for cultural exchange and personal growth and economic development, particularly for people in remote or disadvantaged areas? Yeah, that's a really good point. And we have to be aware of the fact that we now live in a globalized society and lots of people rely on tourism as income. In terms of cultural exchange, I feel that actually, if we're thinking about it in a real way, well, first of all, we can still travel just because we're not flying doesn't mean we can't travel. Let's just use a, a basic example. So you're flying somewhere, you get on a plane with lots of Brits, you go to a resort with lots of Brits, you spend a week with lots of Brits and then you come home again. Like that isn't cultural exchange. Are spending time with yeah. British people. <laughs> if you go on a train, you are naturally surrounded by the people who live there because that's who uses the train. So, for example, I'm going to use Copenhagen. I mentioned it already, but I'm so I went on a, a, a train trip to Copenhagen, which goes through uh, France, Belgium, Germany, Denmark. And with each stop, you are interacting with people of that culture, of that language you are seeing how the landscape connects and how it changes from the UK to Denmark. You are interacting with uh, the people who, who live and work there, especially when you get off and have your interchanges, like go and get a coffee in Brussels or you know, staying overnight in Hamburg and having a dinner. That is a very enriching way to travel because you are you're not just flying above all this stuff and missing out on the interim interim stuff. It is part of the journey and it en- enhances your understanding of how the world works. So you see how the food gradually changes until you get Danish. You see how the language changes. You see how the people change. That is an incredibly enriching cultural experience that helps us understand our neighbor. Actually, I feel that people flying just randomly landing somewhere especially like the further away it is the harder it is because it's so alien and i and i don't think that that increases our cultural experience i think that's exploitative actually so i i i totally agree that travel gives us um it, it gives us it enriches us and it gives us experiences that we that help open our minds but i do not think air travel does that i kind of think air travel takes that away a bit 
Um, and the other thing is we have to be careful of over-tourism. So there are places like Venice, like Barcelona, which are saying, tourists, could you please stop coming? Like, you know, and, and Thailand, yeah. the setting off the beach, that's suddenly completely overridden. It's covered in trash. And they're like, sure, our economy is based on tourism, but actually this isn't great for us. Can you stop coming, please? We have to be aware of that. And, and I feel like if your travel takes longer, is more thoughtful, and you have to mean it, then that is better for the people you're traveling to see and for you and ultimately for the planet. Like we can still go and see different cultures. We, we still have the entirety of Europe at our fingertips. We can travel to North Africa. We can travel to, to the West part of Asia. Like we don't have to just go to France great as France is, you know, you can still see those different cultural experiences. And yes, it might mean that we never go to Japan. But that's also okay. Like, for me personally, and I'm, I am talking here as someone who doesn't have family abroad. And let's just get that clear. Like, I don't have to travel long haul to see family members. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I, I am fortunate in that I can absolutely choose where I travel and when. But there are so many places in the world that, yes, I won't see. But to be honest, there's lots of places in Europe I won't see either because I simply don't have time. <laughs> like, totally. You can't possibly see everywhere. Um, and I'm, I'm completely at peace with that, um, with that outcome. That means if I want to be immersed in Chinese culture, I will go to Chinatown in London, in yeah. Soho. And I mean, it sounds a bit twee, but it's kind of it's it's great like that is a great way to meet people from a different culture and to understand their culture um and we have that in all over the uk and and for yeah if i want something a bit more exotic i'd love to go to marrakesh i can get there by train yeah so yeah yeah that's a really that's a real so many interesting things to think about there and i i completely agree with you um especially about the over tourism in some sections i mean that's crazy the, the places that you that you mentioned I, don't, I have no interest in going there because i know it's going to be like that i know it's just going to be swamped with people like me other tourists mm-hmm. it's it, it, it's not so interesting but yeah i think we have to start to consider all those things and that there's so many other ways to travel, essentially. I live in Spain and I moved here because I did the Camino de Santiago, which is where you walk for a month across the north of Spain. Mm, And I met a couple, they're retired, they're Spanish, and they do it every year because they're retired. They take the month and they walk and it's very cheap. And they're like, well, it's like we could go traveling all over the the place, (laughs) but we come here and we go walking. It's good for our health. It's beautiful. And we meet people from all over the world. We have this amazing experience. So I think there's this, yeah, once again, it's that thing of, it's not like just changing your behavior. You're going to find other enriching things. And I really like your point, especially about like, okay, sure. I can't, maybe I can't fly to Mexico for a holiday, but there's many other places I couldn't fly to for a holiday. I can just go to the ones that are close to me. And, and I also do think that having holidays closer to home will have another environmental benefit in the sense that so many people, especially people with money fly everywhere, like so many other places for their holiday and they have no connection to their land. And so then when the government comes in saying, okay, we're going to do this with it. You're like, okay, sure. Whatever. Whereas if you know that place, like in a deep way and you spend your rest time there and you get to know it and they come in and say, we're going to be building this up, 
you're going to yeah. say well, you're doing what now? You're not going to yeah. you're not going to be doing that to my my land. We would we would yeah. start to claim where we live more, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Could you share some examples of individuals or communities who have embraced a flight-free lifestyle and experienced positive changes as a result? Yeah, so we've got a couple of really good case studies uh, through our campaign. What we do is we ask for people to send in their stories, their testimonials about how they have found their flight-free year and like why they decided to take the challenge. So some of them are on our website, but most of them are on our social media. So if you look at our, our Instagram and Twitter, it's at Flight Free UK, and then that's Facebook as well, Flight Free UK. So yeah, you'll see all those inspiring stories. But one of our best ones is Helen Coffey. So she's the head of travel at The Independent. And she was recently on our podcast. So we have a podcast too. (laughs) And the Flight Free podcast. And her story is so inspiring and like wheeling her out as a case study every time someone asks because um, she was an what we might call an ultra frequent flyer. Okay. So you mentioned that to be classified as a frequent flyer, you only have to take three flights a year, which just sounds like that hardly sounds like any, but there are lots of people, of course, who take like 20, 30, 40 flights a year. Yeah. So, and, and Helen was one of those. So as a travel writer, of course, she's getting lots of press trips, uh, but also her own holidays. And once you're flying for some things, you're just there's no reason not to fly for other things so she said in the first half of 2019 she was like I've taken 26 flights that's like one a week this is crazy and then she did a feature about our pledge and she was like at that point it didn't even cross her mind that she might take part because it's so far removed from where she is but then she spoke to the people, she spoke to maybe four or five people who had stopped flying and she was like, oh, they're actually quite normal. <laughs> and they, they seem kind of nice and fun. <laughs> like they still enjoy their lives. <laughs> and, she, and it got her thinking, maybe I could do this. And then she was like, right, do you know what? This is a really quirky thing for a travel writer to do. I'm going to take a year of flying and it'll be like, wow, travel writer quits flying for a year and just write this whole expose about how, what it's like. And so I was really excited when she signed the pledge. She was like, guys, big news. <laughs> but this was 2020 and then COVID came along. So like none of us flew. Yeah, so it's a pretty easy that, year. <laughs> yeah, but the hardest thing was like we couldn't travel. So we couldn't do the overland travel adventures that we'd all planned. So that was very annoying. So by the end of the year, Helen was like, okay, well, I'll just do it again because that doesn't really count. And then 2021 was also a bit of a nightmare. So she was like, okay, come on then, one more time. And then by the end of 2022, she was thinking, actually, I kind of want to keep doing this. So she's now taken the pledge for the fourth time in a row. And she's like, I feel like a different person because you do something a few times. And what do you know? That becomes your habit. And she's like, the the thing that has changed the game for me is the enjoyability of slow travel. She's like, I don't want to get on a plane. That is just, that sounds like a nightmare. I want to be on a train. I want to be on a coach. She just went by coach to bloody south of Spain, (laughs) like 48 hours on a coach. Oh my God. But she's like, this is actual travel. This is travel. This is adventure. This is enhancing my life. Like this is giving me stories. And uh, she's been to Rabat in Morocco. She's been to like all over Europe, Croatia. So like loads of places, loads of places. No, no kind of, yeah, there hasn't been, like she, she says she's, she's traveling less, but the travel means more. Yeah. And that is exactly what we're trying to achieve with people. Like if you can 
take that step of taking the challenge and knowing that you're doing it with thousands of other people and then like experiencing the slow way of traveling or experiencing the other places that you can get to without flying and being like, wow, I had no idea that I could have such an exciting holiday in the south of France or um, like, you know, I got all the way to Corsica without flying and and also one of the stories I've just uploaded to our website, it's a family holiday in Corsica and the two kids, one of the kids, nine years old, then nine year old son, he said, I liked the travel more than the holiday. Wow. <laughs> so like, you know, I know, isn't that a cool little really a cool statement? Cool. Like, they took an overnight ferry, they took they took trains obviously down through down through France, overnight ferry to Corsica, and on the way back they had like the day ferry and then an overnight train back to Paris and then back over to Oxfordshire where they live. And he was like, Yeah, like the travel. That was the best bit. And yeah, I mean I've got I, so many other stories, but I think those two are quite good. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I completely agree. I hate the airport and I and I do get what you're saying. I feel sometimes the airport and the plane travel can really kind of clip the adventure out of your out of your trip you know mm-hmm. when i did the camino de santiago they say that it begins at your door and a lot of people that do it in europe they walk from the front door to get to yeah. the starting point so it's, it would be great if we could just change our thoughts about it i think change we would be surprised at how easy it could be to change our behavior on this and our mentality as you said knowing that there are thousands of other people taking the pledge with you would be really helpful yeah because i yeah. think that's the, that's the weird you, i think sometimes when you say i'm not going to fly or you feel like you're the only one you feel like you're a bit yeah. weird like you're like this woman said oh these people are normal and they're nice and fun like you don't <laughs> want to be the person that's not normal or not nice or fun so to know that there are other people normal nice fun people taking this pledge with you i think is really helpful yeah 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 we have a couple of questions that we ask everyone on the podcast one of them is grandma's advice. So we ask the, the, um, everyone to imagine that they're coming towards the end of their life and they're having to pass on three pieces of advice to their grandchildren. What advice would you pass on to your grandchildren? I think it's important. Um, I think to not underestimate the power of your own choices Like it's so easy to feel overwhelmed with life, but the choices that you make are so important and you never know where they're gonna lead. Like my decision not to fly has led to so many opportunities opening up. And it's been over a decade now that I've, since I got on a plane and I have had such a wonderful enriching life full of travel since then. And I've met so many amazing people as a result. So yeah, I think that's important, really important. Don't underestimate the power of your choices. Yeah, it's a good one. I'm not sure. I'm going to say wear sunscreen. (laughs) Okay, this is a good one. Is this for the wrinkles or for the cancer or both? Well, yeah, do you know what? That that feels like the best advice you can give anyone, wear sunscreen. For those British beaches. (laughs) And actually, do you know what? I'm going to go down that theme. So... Don't underestimate the power of your choices. Wear sunscreen and swim in the sea. Oh. And, and I mean, I know that sounds quite flippant, but 
I swim in the North Sea a lot. Like, I swim in the sea in England a lot. And Scotland. I've swum off the north coast of Scotland wow. before. It sounds crazy because it's cold, but it's amazing. And I feel like if you swim in the sea around the UK, you're so part of nature. And you don't maybe need to, like, feel like you have to fly to get some to get some visceral experience of, like, being in the sea. Um, I've swum in the Mediterranean, which is nice. I did cycle there, though. Wow. <laughs> I cycled all the way through France just to go swim in the Mediterranean. And it was amazing, but give me the UK's, UK seas any day. Like, I love it. So, yeah, get to, get to love the UK sea. That's what we I didn't say. even get onto cycling, but it is another amazing way of traveling, and I would like to get in, into it. I did a five-day bike ride in uh, Austria, and I met other cyclists that were cycling all over Europe, and it made me go, hmm, I could get into this for sure, yeah. because you can move really far on a bicycle in yeah. a day. Like it's yeah. And such an adventure, you know, such yeah. an adventure. And I agree with the, the sea thing. I completely agree, get that, and I heard someone recently, I saw this um, uh influencer and he said an English one he goes all those all those British people in March going I just need to get out of Britain I just can't wait to get out of here because yeah. do you really need to go for a four-day weekend away or do you need to get therapy <laughs> right you know? um, right why do we want to leave so much just yeah. embrace it yeah embrace it the UK is incredible yeah just yeah, yeah. The, the variety of landscapes we have here and yeah I feel like if you can swim in the sea you can love it and another question we have is, what is something that you hope never changes? We've got so many changes that we have to make in this crisis. What is something you hope never changes? I hope that people will still be passionate about the planet. I, my whole life, I have been aware of the climate crisis, although we didn't call it that when I was a child. And people have been fighting for it my whole life, and I hope that never changes. And another one we have is... What has been your most profound moment in nature? <laughs> well, I spend my life surrounded by nature. I live on a narrow boat, so I am constantly woken up by the birds and the... Oh, there's a cuckoo, right? We're a moored right now. Oh, my God, the cuckoo is amazing. I saw a deer the other day. I saw a badger the other day. That was really wonderful. Wow. I feel like being... The water is a wonderful place to be and brings you at a very nature eye level. And the final one is what habit, well, I think I, I think I can guess what habit you're going to say here, but we'll see. What habit do you think every eco-enthusiast needs to pick up? <laughs> um, should we just say the habit of questioning your travel? Yeah. 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 I feel like think twice about how you travel and yeah. take the train. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It was a wonderful conversation. And I assumed with this conversation, I was going to feel a little bit like, oh, it's going to be all very serious. But it was very uh, enriching and life affirming. So thank you so much. And, I, and I'm and i going to try and take the pledge next year. I'll see how I go. Yeah. But um, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah I'm definitely going to follow along and tr keep myself inspired and question my travel choices. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. Bye. enjoyed this week's episode of the eco enthusiast i found anna super inspiring her 
her enthusiasm was very infectious and I'm very excited about looking up my next trip in Europe using either the train or the bus. Uh, I think we're gonna find a lot in this change. The funny thing was that my dad just contacted me after this episode and said, hey, I, I took the train instead of my car, quite a long distance. It was a seven hour trip on the train. And he goes, it was really slow. And it was really lovely. He had a great time. So I think we're gonna be finding a lot in this, this shift. And I think also on a, I guess, a spiritual level, if you wanna say, uh, or just at a human level, I think we're gonna feel good about ourselves making these changes. I think that guilt that we feel flying during an ecological emergency is a sign. I think we're meant to use that feeling and make a shift with it. So I'm excited about what we can find in that shift. So head over to the Flight Free UK website and get inspired by these other stories and think about taking the pledge yourself or maybe you can't take the pledge, but maybe you can dedicate half of your trips to you know different forms of transport. If you liked today's episode, I really ask you to share it around. We have people like Anna doing these incredible things. It's a lot of work that she's putting in and it's so important. So if you found today's episode inspiring, please share it with your friends. If you're wanting to have that conversation with some friends about flying and their their, their, their travel habits, this could be the, fir- the perfect uh, icebreaker because as you can see, Anna is just a delightful person. As always, we like to leave you with a nature poem. If you would like to send in a piece of nature poetry or nature prose, please do. Just go to www.theecoenthusiastpodcast.com. Today's nature poem is by Willow Drummond and it's called The Last of This Red Hour. I hope you enjoy it and we'll see you next time on The Eco Enthusiast. Hello, I'm Willow Drummond and this poem is called The Last of This Red Hour. In the space we inhabit, one burnished afternoon, we sip a taste of silence from an autumn of silences, faithful and bright, full of images and words, like skeletons of powder hulks with crowns of mangrove hair. As the golden hour blooms, tinged with aubergine, a shiver along the water glass almost breaks our spell. Each step is incantation, a stilt, a turn, a black swan pair, paddle poetry, dreams. When the chorus warms, arpeggios for the show of word bells and wattle birds who know the pace of poem time, who know the promise of afternoon lines, the ripple of this light. We fix to stay forever, feather our minds with baubles against a northern wall, suspend our home across a watercourse, catch forgotten lines, break the skin on the pool of ourselves every sounding afternoon. As the orchid sky flies over, we scribble birds' whispered words in a tesseray of light that knows the pace of poem time, that knows the promise of afternoon lines in the last of this red hour in this cathedral of song. <laughs>